Let's Talk Crypto with Gabrielle Haynes. Hello, we are here with Colburn, the co-founder and director of MOCA, the Museum of Crypto Art. We're here to talk about his background and the vision for the project. Thank you for joining me today, Colburn. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. So I want to just jump right in. I want a little. I want to learn a little bit more about you and how you arrived at this very ambitious project, which will we will dive into much in more detail shortly. But let's uh, let's let's see how you got involved in the space and and what you're all about. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I was uh, born and raised in in Southern California. Uh, spent, you know, all of all of my life before university there. Uh, and, you know, I went to college in, in New York, studied economics and psychology, uh, you know, wound kind of this crazy intersecting back and forth path between uh, traditional finance and social impact. So I ping ponged from an investment bank to United Nations Capital Development Fund to a wealth management firm founded by vegan Buddhists um, into this private family office where we were doing more, I guess, venture capital, um, a lot of renewable energy investing, alternative investments. Uh, and in 2017, I first purchased Ethereum when, uh, I guess it would have been February, when I read an article on the founder of Intrade and Prediction Markets and in there, they had a mention of Augur. Uh, and I fell in love with, with Rep and the token. And that's what really like kicked off my journey. Um, and having kind of that traditional finance background, I really understood like what was bubbling around the concept of, a, of an ICO, right? And understanding that really there is an, an even distribution of genius in the world. But people haven't been able to access capital because capital has been siloed. Right, it's generally siloed in Silicon Valley, and you know, the best ideas go to Silicon Valley and kind of lifted it up. But this, if the Ethereum network really democratizes that financial system. It allowed anybody to put forward their ideas on a white paper, and then you know, receive global capital to kind of kickstart these ideas and build these communities. So that was really inspirational for me. I participated in the uh, Decentraland ICO and the Land Auction. And when they did their big launch events in early 2020, I fell back into the idea of virtual worlds. Um, so started looking at Somnium space, right? Acquired land in Somnium space, entered this kind of you know green grass, blue sky world where nothing had been built very much yet, and had to ask myself like, what is the space that I want to see? What is the space that I want to be inviting people into? Uh, at the same time, you know, I was doing some due diligence on Super Rare and was, you know, kind of just testing the platform and and fell in love with with crypto arts and these people and, and the bidding and the building of these connections and marrying these two interests, right? This this world building to kind of empower digital creatives to, you know, show people what could be in the metaverse, what could be beautiful, what we can imagine, how we can redesign um, to present like a more idealistic and perhaps truer vision of ourselves and our identity is really at the core of the museum project. Okay, very cool. I got a lot to dive in, 
into there. I uh, also grew up in California in Silicon Valley. So close by to you. Um, You you said you mentioned something that just caught my attention here. This vegan Buddhist hedge fund. (laughs) You got to tell me a little bit more about that. What what was going on over there? Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, it's, it's sadly, you know, when when, you know, you get pulled in with the hook, right? It's an incredible hook. Like do more with your money, value align your money, right? But I worked my way behind the scenes and and became the trader there. And it was really just, um, you know, mutual fund indexing with some negative screens. So they took out alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. And, you know, it's it's once you start to understand, you know, the the financial system, you realize how stagnant it is. Right. And if you're like a young, passionate individual that wants to see change in the world, it, it doesn't effectuate the change that you want to see as quickly as, as you think it should be happening. Um, you know, people still at the end of the day, they want to see their whatever it is, five to seven percent return year over year, compounding growth. Uh, and they want to feel that like their money is safe and secure. And I think that for me, Again, it was it was part of the allure of jumping headfirst into this financial system in parallel, um, because you know volatility brings change and new ideas bring rapid shifts in capital and capital very rapidly can go to new innovative ideas. So, you know when you begin to look at like what the ICO revolution was all about and then like the beginnings and, and seeds of DeFi. Uh, it's they're incredibly powerful, trustless systems, and it's reinventing the way that we financially interact across the globe. And it's allocating capital very rapidly to new and novel ideas. And that, to me, was was so powerful. Um, and it just kind of stands in very much <laughs> contrast to you know people that I saw and respected in the traditional finance world trying to do something that was value aligned, well, it didn't meet, I guess, the extremity of of the values that I hold. Before we get to the ideas of, you know, decentralization and stuff like that, but what drew you into finance generally, initially? Yeah. Um, you know, I think people are, are we live in a, in a capitalist world, right? Capitalism won. Um, and this is how you create change. And you know, there's no arguing that just general standards of living over the past hundred years under the system have increased tremendously, right? And I believe it, I believe capitalism to be the, the most powerful force to effectuate change. And you know, the closer you are to the source of that, I think is how you can really, you know effectuate and bring forward what you want to see yeah that makes sense uh i always thought to myself that the business of money makes the most amount of money you know my my (laughs) my father god bless his heart uh was you know both my parents were were huge hippies right Mm -hmm. but (laughs) but he he knew that and he told me that you know very on very early on um you know it's um it's true it's true the closer you are to the the source of the tap 
is really, you know, how much you'll be able to, I guess, you know, bring towards yourself. The problem is, I feel that, you know, the largest stewards of capital are really playing by rules that are very ingrained. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the game that they kind of have, know and have mastered. So I just like the thought of inventing a parallel game with better rules and hopefully, you know, allocating people who will be better stewards of this capital. So speaking of that, you mentioned ICOs. And in this day and age, if you say, I'm launching an ICO, people think you're a scammer or something like that, at least in my mind, maybe not yours. So, I mean, we have that kind of tension between, okay, yeah, it's all open, et cetera, et cetera, but uh, it doesn't seem too clean. So, I mean, you know, it's, I'd say maybe three to 5% of the projects, probably less that were born in, in the 27 ICO phase have thrived. Um, and that's a bit lower than a, a traditional venture metric. But those projects that have thrived have really brought forward some powerful technology, incredible concepts. They've built amazing communities around them. Uh, and you know, for me, those projects have brought forward this, this new uh, vision, right? Of course, you know, like Ethereum was, was done on an ICO. So a lot of people, you know, got burnt and they got caught up in the hype, but there's real people building and creating very, very powerful technological tools. Absolutely. Ave was an ICO as well. And of course, that's that's going pretty well, pretty well, I could say. Um, right. So you, you start getting involved in crypto through this idea of ICOs. There's a lot of hype around it, but then you kind of take it one step further and you start exploring the metaverse. So how, how did you make that transition? Did you just kind of see uh, these decentralized lands starting to emerge and just kind of caught your imagination or something else? Yeah, the evolution, right? I think we've seen the web become very monopolized and controlled by a handful of, of players. Um, and I think, you know, major players, be it, you know, Facebook, Apple, Google, that have tremendous cash reserves, well, they either, right, acquire innovative companies and kind of just fold them into their mix, or they crush them. Um, and I, you know, I wanted to see a world where more ideas and innovation was, was thriving independently of this. And I believe that um, you know, we know online identity is important and we know people are continuing to spend more and more time online. And you look to the generation younger and you see them, you know, constantly, whatever it is, playing Fortnite, Minecraft. This is the way that they know how to socialize. They socialize over the Internet. They're less going to their friend's house, but, you know, they're playing Animal Crossing and they're they're trading with people that they meet, you know, in these worlds. Um, and you know, it's, it feels like an evolution of forum boards. It feels like a evolution of, you know, your, your personal web page is now the, the 3d spatial environment 
that you choose to present. And the avatar that you choose to present is becoming, you know, the, the new form of identity. So in your vision, the metaverse is an expanded social media platform? You know, I always go back to the concept of global community villages, right? People were always tied physically to, you know, the places that they were and the people that occupied those places, right? And you used to define yourself based on that location, right? So, you know, just being in Los Angeles gave you a type of identity, being in New York, London, Paris, you know, uh, like Tokyo, any, all of these places have their own ingrained identity that just by proxy of you being there, people begin to associate you with, right? But the metaverse is, is open and accessible. So in, in creating, you know, these global villages that live online, we don't have to identify ourselves by the physical location that we're in, but instead the ideas that people hold all over the world. And when we begin to aggregate people around ideas, I think it's, it's incredibly powerful. Why do you think it's ideas? I mean, maybe it's just the types of games they like to play or the types of NFTs they like. I mean, what do you mean by collecting I I, on that? Go ahead. Yeah, I, I think that all ties to identity, right? People identify themselves as gamers and the gaming community is incredibly strong and, and passionate, right? So that's why I love to see things like, uh, take, say, Avogachi, right? Which is this beautiful marriage of gaming mechanics, but it teaches people how to use DeFi and it does it all under this very like, you know, pixelated retro early internet aesthetic. Um, so it's, why ideas? I, I, I just think it gives people a chance to express themselves more freely. And I think this, this pursuit of freedom is a lot about what is being expressed both in the cryptocurrency revolution and the crypto art revolution. It's kind of funny because identity and idea, like it's almost the same word. Just right. It's, it's kind of interesting. I never, never really thought of that. Yeah, I mean, suddenly you're given, you're giving yourself more of a choice to be the type of person you want to be, instead of being prejudged by things that might be beyond your control. So how do you get involved in the metaverse? Do you start like purchasing stuff? Do you like uh, walk around in the metaverse? Like what was your initial interaction? Um, yeah, you know, I put on, I put on the VR. I mean, my first interaction was, was in Decentraland, running around and, and participating in this treasure hunt and seeing these games that people played and understanding, you know, how you could create uh, an environment and get people to engage and socialize and create, you know, an economy for, for wearables. Um, and then, you know, jumping into Somnium space, which is 
was at the time VR first, it it really opened my mind deeper to the, the possibilities because I think there is an incredible power in pulling these, you know, these images and environments off of a two-dimensional computer screen and putting them in three-dimensional immersive environments. Maybe you can give me a brief breakdown of the different environments that are out there. I'm not super familiar. I've spent a little bit of time exploring, but definitely not as much as yourself. Yeah, you know, I think CryptoVoxels uh, comes comes first as, as the most easy and accessible for people. Um, you know, this is has a, a pixel aesthetic, uh, and that's where a lot of just kind of the the early metaverse meetups were were happening and the community building was happening. Um, Decentraland, you know, has a much different aesthetic. Uh, it seems that it was, you know, more geared to uh, like just a, a cartoony gaming playful environment. Um, and then, you know, Somnium Space, I know worked, worked very hard to bring all of these into 3D. They have, you know, incredible spatial audio and, you know, real-time light and shadow rendering uh, and, you know, the amount of features that they have also a very incredible easy builder um, that allowed me, you know, with no experience working in 3D to very quickly, uh, you know, create and, and implement a build. So, you know, those are, those are kind of the, the three leading ones in my mind and, you know, every day we see, you know, new types of metaverse worlds emerging. So how do you, you actually mentioned something interesting. You said, you asked yourself a question, what is the space you want to invite people into? Yeah. So what is that space? For me, you know, I think a, a very neutral way for the world to begin to interact with one another and have social experiences is around art, right? Because it almost requires no words in being able to go in and share an, an art experience with somebody, right? But you can, you can jump in and you can see this artwork and everybody is going to feel something different. And it gives you a, a focal point of conversation to begin to have a discussion around, you know, what does this mean to you? And, and how does this speak to you? And I mean, even basically, do, do you like this work? Um, and those are, those are the types of experiences that I want to begin and, you know, continue to explore and foster. So how do you get into this art world again? I mean, you're involved in, in the metaverse, you're spending a little time, you're doing some treasure hunts, but there is a switch between hanging out and actually trying to create something, you know, buying things, putting them together, curating, et cetera. Yeah. How, how, how would one begin to do this? No, you, I mean, in like, how did you like, go about this process like what what changed and and how did you start to get you know even more deeply involved rather than just participate in actually building 
Yeah, I just I I fell in love with with kind of like the rebellious nature of these artists. And I thought, you know, the vision that they had was incredibly powerful because, you know, again, with something like the the art world, the rules and the power is locked. Right. So I believe that, you know, all creative expression is valid and should be considered art. Um, you know, the problem with the traditional art world is that, you know, whether whether you're a collector, whether you're a creator, you're generally going to hear the same answer unless you know somebody. And that answer is no. And I think, you know, a, a big problem with our society and our world is that we continue to tell people no when we should be encouraging, you know, passion and, and outlandish dreams because this is how you know new ideas are introduced and and change is made and we begin to kind of like shape values and culture so you know how how i began really is that i have a you know a personality that is you know borderline <laughs> obsessive and and when i find this hook in myself i just dive incredibly deep so when I was first collecting on Super Rare, I was going through all of the artists and all of the artwork. And I just wanted to, to learn and connect. And especially during a time, you know, like we were in with coronavirus, where this social element was incredibly lacking, I was looking for this global network of people that shared these values. And I was finding it here in crypto art. And I really found that the, the art and the NFT was secondary and perhaps just a, a symbolic marker of, you know, the people that I was resonating with. And things move so incredibly fast in this space, but, you know, because of the, the blockchain timestamp, you're able to draw a very clear, you know, historical record of you know an evolution through the space and the ideas that that I was feeling and trying to express in my collection are all captured in in that artwork and it was also a way for me to begin to form right a a digital identity and a person that I wanted to present myself as online so in this collection you're focusing on community, right? You're, you're trying to connect with people rather than try to evaluate the art based on the aesthetic. Is that, is that what you're saying? 100%, right? I think we're, we're almost like post craft, you know? I think it's, it's wonderful that this, the software is, you know, relatively, inexpensive and accessible and anybody you know can can go online and and watch youtube tutorials and figure out how to create in in 3d or cinema 4d or blender or, or any of these tools that are available so you know for me it's about it's about message story and context um and you know looking back, I would have had no idea how quickly we would have arrived at this point where NFT is, is a household word, 
as a household's words. Um, so to see that this was such a pain point that the world was so quick to kind of adopt it and implement it speaks to its power. Um, but for me, yeah, the, the art is only symbolic in the, like, in the relationship that it holds to the ideas that we want to express as a community, as the crypto community. Because I think for a long time, the crypto community has had a culture problem and has been presented to the outside world in a very negative light. How so? Could you expand on that? Yeah, I mean, look, we can we can take something as simple as like yesterday when when Elon Musk did, you know, that great flip flop, yeah. right, where he <laughs> where he embraced Bitcoin, said Tesla's will be, you know, available uh, for purchase with Bitcoin, you know, agreed with Jack Dorsey that Bitcoin is is tr driving renewable energy adoption uh, only, I would imagine, for him to get kind of like investor and board pressure to rescind this and say that, you know, Bitcoin is a, you know, too energy intensive and is consuming too much coal. Right. And then you go back to, you know, kind of like the early beginnings of, of whatever it was, you know, illicit activity, money laundering, you know, these are the narratives that like the central bank to the people it's too speculative, right? Your investment will go to zero you know, don't trust the code. No, trust us. Since you bring up Elon, I mean, that whole situation is very odd. I mean, I don't understand. It's not like he didn't know how Bitcoin was mined going into it. I mean, this guy is definitely obviously really smart engineer and is in the energy business. It's just a very weird situation. It feels like it's an excuse to do something else. I don't really understand it, but uh, I feel like there's more to the story. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that's I don't think that's his personal belief or his personal decision, right? I think that was a, a decision that was pressured on him to to do this reversal, and I don't think anybody will will know the full story there. Um, but there is a lot of highly vested interests out there that don't want to see cryptocurrency succeed. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to roll it back to something that you mentioned earlier, this idea of NFTs becoming a household um, name idea. That's definitely something that took me by surprise. I was involved in crypto not that long for about a year, but I was very focused on DeFi, right? So I was making videos about DeFi, Yearn, Aave, Compound, et cetera, et cetera, using these applications and getting very excited about um just how easy it is compared to just traditional finance. So I'm like, oh, this is this is great. Everyone's going to love this. And NFTs was like, cool. I was like, all right, this is nice. I don't really, it's like, it's like cool, but like DeFi is where it's at. Yeah. All of a sudden, everyone starts talking NFTs and it, it almost passed me by. Like, I was like, whoa, how did this is just like, it got juked out here. Like what happened? <laughs> so. Yeah, why do you think people connect to this idea rather than the idea of, um, I don't know, like, like open finance? Yeah, it's, it's just, I, I think it's just simply seeing is believing, 
right? The, the very first time I explained to my mother for years and years and years, trying to like tell her what a blockchain is, what, what I do, totally abstract, right? You have to be so multidisciplinarian to even begin to understand something like DeFi, uh, but art, you, you don't, right? No matter who you are, no matter where you are, regardless of anything in your life, you can have an opinion around something that you see. And, you know, that opinion might be as simple as I like this, I don't like this. Um, or it can be, you know, incredibly academic. And But everybody, the point is, is that everybody has an opinion and it's very accessible for people to begin to express that opinion. And I think that's why something, you know, like NFTs caught such fire as opposed to something like, DeFi, which is which is difficult to access. Yeah, I also I don't know if you agree with this, but I think that money has some sort of stigma in our culture and our society, right? So you don't ask someone in New York how much they pay for rent. Um, yeah. In in Israel, you do. Like Israel, I'm, I lived in Israel for ten years, and they're a lot more upfront. They're no problem asking how much, but like in general, you have these uh norms about money oh you don't ask how much someone makes you know how much they spend so i feel like art as you say is um there isn't as much uh, you don't have to behave in a certain way you say oh i don't like this i don't like that nobody's gonna be like oh don't say that don't say that you know Uh, maybe, maybe that's part of it as well I, I, I agree, you know, money is a, is a very kind of like stigmatized taboo topic. And I, I wish it was something that kind of we, we communicated more and we talked about more. Um, and it's very interesting, you know, in these art auctions to see, you know, to have that transparency, right? And most of these sales are, are happening very open and transparent. And, you know, people kind of build identities around themselves based on this, right? You know, there are art collecting whales and there are people that, you know, work to kind of find and lift emerging artists. Um, So there is kind of a a closer connection. But at the end of the day, it's, it's all about like that collector explaining why they're doing what they're doing and how that relates to, you know, who they are and what they care about. So speaking of NFT whales, uh, I, I, the museum itself is an NFT whale. It has, houses many, many different types of NFTs, different artists, different communities. And this is something that has been driven by you. Um, I know you had a partner, but what what is the idea of the project what do you what are you trying to achieve with the museum of crypto art yeah i i think it's two things right so first i i made it a point to to go out and build a foundation right and that is basically to tell people that i am really not here to speculate the pieces that are going into this foundation will never be sold right this is really just a a history and preservation project and an acknowledgement of kind of the foundational creators who were here for 
um, you know, something other than money themselves, right? They wanted to disintermediate middlemen. They wanted to freely express themselves. They wanted to use like the uncensorable technology that we have to like create their permanent etching, right? Their creative output. Um, so I want to like respect and honor those early creators. But at the same time, I want this also to be a foundation like the Ethereum Foundation, where it's a driver of innovation in this space and it sets a gold standard. And it can be a place where people can, you know, come together, aggregate their opinion and, and make that a standard. And, and that might be something as simple as, you know, bringing artists and collectors to the table to demand from any new marketplace that pops up that a, a secondary royalty on sales of 10% is just going to be the standard. And we together, you know, we won't create or collect there unless these standards are adopted and implemented. Um, you know, for a long time, artists were, were acting alone. And I think, you know, the space has become so large now that, uh, you know, there's been a, a tremendous amount of marketplaces pop up. Um, and there's been a tremendous amount of artists that have kind of flooded into the space, but they still are largely acting as individuals. So it's, it's hard to kind of measure one artist's individual opinion versus a large new marketplace like, say, Binance. Um, it will basically, in that instance, be whatever Binance says goes, right? But if we can, you know, bring their voices together, then there is an institutional framework where we can speak almost like institution to institution. And I think that carries more weight. I kind of want to differentiate between what the museum is now and what it will be in the future. So maybe you can give that, like, like separate those two things. Of course. Yeah. You know, so the, the museum up for, you know, the past year and change was kind of a single curatorship, you know, private collection. Um, and the evolution that is coming, right, is really to open this up to be a community museum and a community collection. And, you know, I have the idea to basically transform this away from, you know, what they say is the, the benevolent dictator model into a quasi DAO, into a full DAO, as that technology gets better. And, you know, we, we find the tools to, you know, to collectively vote and decide on what is, you know, the, the crypto community's culture and what we think is, is valuable instead of, you know, one person with the most money defining what is important to them and kind of telling the marketplace that. Does this already happen in like the IRL, meaning does the MoMA set culture in any way? Oh, absolutely, right? It, it defines what is valuable. And there's a very tight trade between, you know, the, the thousand major art collectors in the world, right? The, the top galleries like, you know, Gagosian and, and Pace um, 
and and these museums, right? So generally, the the galleries will pick an artist. They'll start to put pieces in the hands of these major collectors. You know, they'll do a show. There might be a couple pieces left over. Um, you know, pieces that generally the the public will never access. And then, you know, from there, those pieces generally go to museums for a multi-year period. And then slowly, you know, they will start to to bleed back into major auction houses like, uh, you know, Christie's and, and Sotheby's. Um, so it, this is all a very like tightly controlled trade. And it's a trade that kind of revolves around, you know, big financial interests. Um, and I think here we really have an opportunity to, to rewrite the rules. So instead of just like a, a very small handful of people defining, you know, what is the art that is important to the world, we have the tools and technology within DAO systems to do it from a ground up approach instead of a top down. Very interesting. Um, so where does the museum actually exist? Uh, so, so currently it exists in Somnium space, although I am going to be building in several new venues and the points of the new museum is really to make it as accessible to as many people as possible and give you know, people within the community, the ability to, you know, host their own event in the location that they, they would prefer. Mm, interesting. So part of the idea is to have like events in the metaverse at the museum, kind of like they do in real museums where they just have say real, that sounds derogatory in uh, IRL museums excuse me, <laughs> um, like kind of like event halls. That's interesting. What type, what type of events do you envision um, taking place? Uh, all kinds, right? I want to tell culture stories, right? So there's just these, these beautiful, like I want to do incredible group shows, whether it's around something like, say, this amazing community of artists in Argentina right, that by, by what their government has done to their economy, they are forced to go into a global market, right? And this is the way, the only way that they had to kind of make a living for themselves while their country was in deep like economic and political turmoil. And that story of these artists being able to access Ethereum as an open network and put their work forward and it being you know adopted and uplifted into this, I think that's an incredibly powerful story. I think you know what Robness did with with trash art um, is an incredibly powerful story in, that just goes back and asks, you know, what is art in a digital age? What is fair use? You know, who is to really say, you know, that that my expression is or is not valid creative output? Could you tell me what that project is? I've, I haven't heard of it. What, what, is, what does he do? What trash is, art? Yeah, what is that? Yeah, so, you know, Trash Art was spawned um, by Robness on, uh, it was around a piece that he created and put on Super Rare. And it was an image of a 64-gallon trash can that I believe he took from, from the Home Depot website. 
he took it to an online uh, editing program called Photomosh, you know, applied a couple effects to it and, and uploaded it to Super Rare. And, you know, they wrote him and told him, you know, this violates uh, our, you know, our community policy around IP because you don't own the image to this trash can. Super Rare told him this. Super Rare told him this, you know, they, they took the piece off, they banned him, and it sparked this whole wave of art where people, <laughs> you know, took this idea of this trash can and just remixed it into infinity. Um, and it was all just, you know, the artist saying that, you know, who are, who are you to tell us like what is valid? Who are you to tell us, you know, what is fair use? Like Home Depot would have never known or cared that, you know, this artist took their image. And beyond that, uh, you know, it was, it was remixed and reworked to a point where it was new. And, you know, we're going to see so much of this. We've, we've already seen examples of this in the crypto community. And it's taken almost for granted that, like, you know, code is, is open source and people fork projects all the time. Um, you know, all, all Roger Ver did to create Bitcoin Cash was he forked Bitcoin and made some, you know, minor changes to the source code. And for whatever reason, that is seen as okay in the crypto community, but in crypto art and in art in general, it was seen as very taboo. And and that's changing. It's it's a constant, constant battle. I think it could possibly be like the biggest issue of how we are working to like redefine antiquated laws around copyright, intellectual property, and fair use. Because, you know, the old adage in this space is like, why do I need to own this when I can just right click save as? And suddenly now I have the image and it's my phone background and it's my wallpaper. Um, so in digital worlds where everything can be like copied and shared instantly, it goes back to also, you know, like the rise of, of Napster and, and LimeWire and, and the downloading of, of music. Um, it's, it's, I really think it's kind of going to just emerge as like the most important debate as we in, increasingly digitize our society. I mean, so what is the role of an NFT if everything is copy paste, right? And, yeah. And I mean, not only technically, like, you know, because you spoke about community already, because that's kind of intangible, but like, what is, you know, what is it in your, in your grander vision? So I always, and this is, I, I think, rather controversial, but I always tell artists that if you're going to mint an NFT, right? You have to assume that the art that you are creating is free, right? And the, the NFT itself being a token that has the metadata that points to that artwork is what is valuable. And what that token is that is so powerful for me is it is an artist publicly identifying, you know, with a, a public wallet address 
saying, this is me, and I am immutably time stamping this act of creation, right? And this is my mark to say that I was here, I created this work to express, you know, these ideas and values, but I'm really giving the artwork away for free. And I want people to take it and I want people to share it. And I want people to, to spread, you know, these images and these ideas. But what you can never take away from me is that initial act of creation and that blockchain timestamp. The content is free, but the the original ownership is not basically like you you can't you can you can sell you of course you can bring it to marketplace and you can sell that nft um but you can't take away the record that i was the person that did this at this time right i gave birth to this this is my token i created it um, and, and that is immutable and, and permanent and uncensorable record. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting because you, you brought up like LimeWire and stuff like that. And the, the whole idea, the whole way that content is moving on the internet is towards this kind of free model because you can't, you can't hide, you can't block stuff away very easily on the internet, right? We have these paywalls, but if you really want, you can get around them. So there is something to be said about going a little bit beyond. You can have access to the content for free, but there is another level that you could pay for. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I, I want to ask you, uh, kind of going a little off here, but what is your favorite museum generally? Oh, wow. I mean, uh, Museum of Modern Arts, Museum of Natural History, uh, the Louvre. Um, I, I love being able to like wander the halls of these, these large and grand museums. Uh, I think that the Whitney in New York does, does, you know, amazing work, you know, the, actually the museum that gave birth to, to this idea was a museum trip that I had in central Brazil called Inhochim, right? And this is a museum unlike anything that, that I had ever experienced, because when you think museum, you think, you know, white walls and, and marble and wandering these halls, but Inhochim is an open air multi-acre park kind of in in the middle of of nowhere in brazil that is dotted with about you know 40 different artist installations uh ranging from sculpture to photography to you know just the the full gamut and you have to you know you walk around outside and you know at one point you're walking along a river and then you kind of enter this jungle and you know, there's a, a big mirrored sphere and you go inside and there's like a decommissioned construction vehicle that is painted all silver. And that's that experience of seeing art in a novel environment and then being able to kind of like open and freely wander was what was so exciting for me because I was so used to kind of like taking a set path that followed you know, like if you if you think about the, the Met in New York, you know, you go from the like 
ancient Egyptian stuff to, you know, to <laughs> like armors and, and knights and then like samurai. And you kind of follow this very self-guided timeline. And I just like the idea of having the freedom to explore what might catch your eye in the distance and then walking there and discovering deeper um, what, what just kind of like piqued your interest. What makes a great museum? Uh, you know, the, the core of the Mocha Museum, right, is to provoke and challenge and to get people to kind of reawaken their imagination to what is possible. Because I think when, you know, we create this disconnect between what is expected of a museum and what is possible with a museum, then we begin to feed people, you know, creative energy that they might have lost. And we begin to tell them that like, you know, your creative expression, your experience again is, is valid. And you have the tools now to express it without people telling you no. So it's meant to kind of like shake and awaken and uplift. And I think this is kind of the, the point of art in general. And a museum should be, like I was saying earlier, I think it should be both a place where we keep a historical preservation, but we're always looking kind of to the cutting edge of, of what is next. And especially in a space as nascent as the NFT space, where we're kind of all swimming in this primordial soup, well, we have an opportunity to really do some, you know, new and, and creative and, you know, limitless forms of expression, especially paired with, you know, digital lands and VR and AR and all of these emerging technologies coming together to rewrite, you know, what it means to be human in a digital age. You, what have you learned creating a museum rather than being a, 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 a user? I don't know how to say it, an, an observer of a museum. Because, of course, initially you, you visited many museums and you, you've turned into a curator. So what, what have you learned from that change in perspective? Um. You know, every, everything I do is is really on behalf of the the artists, right? The the artists in this space. Um, it's incredibly challenging work, um, you know, and there is a tremendous responsibility in stewarding art, right? It's it's not particularly something to like come in and just speculate on because you're dealing with people's lives, you know, and what is more like open and honest than being willing to just create and, and put yourself, a small piece of yourself and your soul out to the world for it to be judged and valued. Like that is that is very difficult. So, you know, the the more I do it, the more diligent I become in trying to, you know, 
craft stories that that capture the power of these individual acts and kind of like wrap you know these individual acts and these individual works into collections that you know are able to to speak to broader audiences uh, because that is the way that we begin to bring more people in right people will get initially like shocked by the dollar signs but all of those headlines eventually fade away and if it's not wrapped up into a you know a long-standing narrative around like kind of like the the broad scope of this inflection points in art and creativity and and power returning to you know individuals um yeah i mean each each day i'm just like in, incredibly humbled and and recognize kind of the, the the monumental task that is before me with this museum yeah i'm sure when you were just getting started you had um you were a lot more you were targeted you were finding all these different communities but now i'm sure you just get inundated with all sorts of different people trying to pitch you and uh you know showing you their stuff so it's it's quite a big task to filter these and sort through them uh exponentially more difficult exponentially more noise yeah yeah i feel like the in general the crypto space has in the past year has got a ton more noisy just forget nfts just like picking a project you think that is going to be successful investing in it or whatever is much harder now because there's so many new projects new farms all the time so it's uh definitely a challenge yeah i mean bull markets breed all sorts of excitement it brings you know a lot of people that are kind of just hoping to catch a, a piece of of the hype and the activity um you know what i you know i know the tide will will eventually go out and, and things will begin to settle down but you know what i trust is that the people and the artists that were here before the money came will be the same people largely who are here after kind of you know the money goes away and we return to a bit of normalcy um you know exponential growth is is great to create hype and interest and and bring more people in and get them interested in learning uh it will be you know i i think telling to see who sticks around when it begins to slow down um, and how, you know, we continue to add slowly layers of people that really resonate with the ideas and look to build something that isn't just kind of like a hype flash in the pan moment, but a long, steady growth process. Whose ideas are you resonating with these days? Are there any artists, maybe YouTubers, movies, books, podcasts that uh, you maybe respect or learn from? Yeah, I mean, there's there's incredible people out there that are that are producing awesome content. I've always been a huge fan of uh, Andrew Steinwald and what he does at, at Zima Red. Um, you know, William Peaster was always an incredible writer, you know, Art Gnome continues to be, you know, a very powerful and, and critical voice in the space. Um, I had another person, Mama, 
it's you know what's what's also been really interesting has been to see the you know the members of the DeFi community come over and you know kind of creates their own subculture within this uh whether it was you know coming in and, and backing crypto punks or falling you know deeply for an artist like x copy um which is it just goes to show you that there is like almost something for everybody and that you know there's going to continue to be like different narratives and different camps that are resonating with different parts of uh of what's what's being expressed here what do you think about the celebrity nft you know we've seen lots of people uh starting to launch their own projects uh gary v who i'm a big fan of just launched his a couple of days ago we've seen paris hilton we've seen snoop dogg countless others um what do you think about that I don't have any, you know, real opinion. I think, uh, you know, I think Nifty Gateway really created the space for for people like this to, you know, come in and, and access a, a deeper market. Um, it's it's not for me particularly. I'm I'm more of a, you know, less of a name person and more of a like expression and ideas person. I think that that much is clear. Um, but I think anything that, you know, brings more attention to the space and, and shines the light. And, you know, I'd say of those people you have mentioned, I think they've all done, you know, great work and research and they haven't thrown anything together that has been like too particularly uh, cash grabby. I, I know Paris was wonderful to begin like following people in the community, lifting up other female artists. Um, Gary, I know, did, you know, very deep research on his project and, and connecting with Jimmy and and making sure, you know, all of the images were were stored directly on the chain on our weave. So when people come in and build, you know, like proper inroads and they honor and respect kind of what came before, uh, then I I have nothing but like love and admiration for that nice nice well said um i can't uh i can't leave this conversation without asking you about the big dog beeple who was pretty popular up until two months ago but then <laughs> seems like his stock has kind of been on the down uh what do you think about him his art his his works yeah, like you know, Mike Mike is a super super nice guy and again like to his credit before he jumped in, he went around to every single person and figured out the landscape. Right? And um you know, he did a great job in pushing the space forward. I think there's a lot of awesome values that that he represents. Obviously just, you know, a, a one a day project for 13 plus years is incredibly impressive and it speaks to that person uh there's not much higher to go than being like the <laughs> you know than 69 million dollars and being one of the top all-time selling living artists so you know i did expect kind of a, a pullback in prices i think his you know where he also led was being you know very free source and open with the models that he created. I know he hosts those files directly on his website. And for me, that's that's wonderful. It's great. 
Um, so, you know, the, the art itself is, it captures culture at a glance and it's him kind of like keeping a diary of his days and, you know, as far as somebody tracking their own evolution, I imagine it's incredibly cool and powerful for him to go back and look in the same way that like, I know when I collected an art and the space that I was in with, you know, at the time and that piece and what that represents to me, I'm sure he can scroll through all his art and just remember, you know, who he was and, and, and track his life. And when things move so quickly in digital ages, we, we need these things to, to ground us so that we can remember who we were and what we were and how we've grown. Yeah, the consistency is something, consistency in general is very powerful. And right. doing something every day is, takes work, takes effort, and it is impressive. I mean, no one can say that he's not an artist, right? You could just say, look, bro, I made something every day. That's not an artist. I don't know what is. <laughs> <laughs> truly, truly. And, and you know, the, the piece that was sold at Christie's to Medicavon, it captures that. Right. And, you know, there's no price too high to pay for something that is invaluable. And to me, that that work is invaluable. It's it's the journey of an artist wrapped up into one piece. It's it's the master work of of this uh, accumulation. So it was wonderful to see that it was wonderful, you know, to have just him being such like a fun outgoing, I think he represented, you know, the community very well. And he obviously brought a ton of attention um, to the space. And hopefully that attention is helping to lift up, you know, other artists in the space and, and validate the medium of NFTs. Going forward, what are you most excited about? <sighs> you know, there's, we're, we're still like, so early, right? The fact that you can only upload just a, a 50 megabyte NFT. I mean, we are going to move so far away from just like the JPEG or the MP4 file as an NFT. Um, you know, I am here for the time when artists are creating, you know, their own worlds, these own metaverse experiences. And we can go to you know, say like the ferocious world that, that he has, you know, crafted and it's, it's beyond like a painting and it's, it's like a full immersion digital environment with characters interacting. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm here for those type of experiences. I'm here for the idea of, you know, virtual beings that are, you know, kind of run by by AI machine learning, and you can have conversations with them about the artwork, and you can ask them as you would like Wikipedia, like, tell me the story of this artist, tell me the story of, you know, this piece, when was it created? Um, it's, it's, I, I treat these objects as like, really the, the digital cave paintings, because, you know, where we're going to be in 5, 10, 20 years is just going to be completely, completely different. Very exciting. That idea of entering an artist's like 
VR is very interesting. It's like, it's as close as you can get to entering their actual brain, right? <laughs> exactly, right? It's suddenly you're not constrained by physical reality, right, in, in VR. So when you can create beyond, you know, the laws of physics, you're really delving into like the depths of imagination. Um, yeah. And, you know, I had a conversation with an artist, Nicole Ruggiero yesterday, who was showing me like these, these VR games that, that she had created. And I'm like, this work is, is so far ahead and inaccessible, but it's incredibly cool because what she had done was she had interviewed people who had, you know, developed um, like very known online personas and she photographed the person and then, you know, created in 3D, uh, you know, an image that kind of like mirrored the, their online persona with their physical persona and created these VR experiences <laughs> that allowed you to kind of like live that online persona, uh, which I think is like when, when people say, you know, take a step in somebody else's shoes, well, you're literally going to be like jumping into their brain. Wow, that's very powerful. I mean, the more you can experience and being able to experience literally someone else's perspective yeah. in, in every sense is, is, is mind-blowing. And I hope it will make for better people because you'll if you really feel how someone else is feeling then you won't be mean to them you won't be angry you'll you'll be much more compassionate it's it's 100 about that right it's it's about like creating a a culture of understanding and um breaking down this idea of like us versus them and kind of showing you know the the experiences of of something that you've never had so you can connect with that person and we can kind of like re-foster this idea of a common humanity beyond you know like race geography religion any of these things really the intent here is is to build those bridges for you know more compassion and more empathy that's fantastic and as on that note, I would like to move towards wrapping up the conversation. And how would you like people who have listened to take action after this talk? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, publishing the, the new vision document today, um, please, please read, you know, our vision, our manifesto, you know, what we're trying to do and achieve here. We are, you know, launching a, a token at the end of May. This will be a governance token for the museum. Um, please read, you know, about the economic model there. Uh, it will be airdropped to, you know, 63,000 OpenSea users prior to December 2020. The idea is really to just give everybody a, a voice and a say and the ability to kind of like propose and, and bring in what they feel is important to this project, um, you know, opening up a, a discord. And I would just encourage people to, you know, learn more, support working artists, um, know that like 
your opinion here is is valuable as we create this kind of like global common culture of who we are and what we care about as people that like have adopted cryptocurrency what is the best way for people to get in touch with you uh at museum of crypto on twitter is great um you know relatively active on on discords and you know my dms are open so find me on twitter it's best all right colburn thank you very much for taking the time today i i enjoyed your vision i learned a lot and i'm looking forward to great things from the museum and for just the crypto landscape in general thank you so much i thought it was a really wonderful conversation